today's episode is going to be on my own journey and how I navigated kind of the worlds of medicine and how I ended up in parasites. I feel like I've been putting off this topic of a had request to, um, you know, share a little bit more about my life journey and my life story. And I've been hesitant to almost share it because I guess I felt like it wasn't going to be, I mean, relevant or... I felt like people didn't really want to hear it. So, um, you know, I guess that was my own healing journey of, of being worthy and of being heard. So anyways, here we are. And I want to talk about, I guess, my journey through medicine. So for those of you who have followed my journey before, I started, I guess, my schooling um, at the University of Western Ontario. So I studied health science with biology. I always knew that I wanted to study medicine, but at the time I was a little bit conflicted um, because I actually started out in mathematics. So I really have a passion for math. I have a passion for formulas, and I've always been really good at kind of, you know, figuring out, I guess, mathematical formulas and equations. So I started out in math and I wasn't sure, you know, that that was going to be my life path. I didn't see myself using mathematics uh, largely in everyday life. I didn't see myself being a math teacher. So I ended up switching into business and business felt like the right fit for me. But again, it wasn't, it wasn't my passion. I always enjoyed um, science. I always enjoyed biology. I always enjoyed um, genetics. So anything kind of from the sciences was what really piqued my interest and what really kept my attention span. So I dabbled in business, realized I didn't want to be an accountant and found myself in medicine and that's where things really started to just kind of feel right. Um, when I was studying medicine, I actually stumbled upon parasitology. So parasitology is the study of parasites and as funny as it is, I fell in love with parasites. I found the world of parasites so fascinating. I found it incredibly interesting and it's like anything in life. When you truly love something, it's not hard, right? You you immerse yourself in it. It's easy to learn. Like I found myself making cue cards on parasites. I studied it more than any other subject. I took pride and passion in it. And I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent just because, you know, depression is something that is so prevalent in society. And of course, there are physical manifestations of depression, but there are also emotional manifestations. And I can tell you that a lot of the times, especially when I see like depression in kids or I see depression in teenagers, there's a lack of lust, a, a lack of passion, a, pa a lack of love for the things that they're doing in their life. And you almost can't, you know, hold it against them because our system has been designed in a way that is very repetitive, that lacks our ability to create and dive into creativity and really hone in on the things that we're passionate about. So when you're forced to do things, you inadvertently don't enjoy them. You inadvertently don't want to do them. And you could see how that would lead to a lack of motivation, a, you know, a tendency towards procrastination. So that's just kind of my tangent. It's always important to look at the emotional aspects of, 
um, you know, what's going on there too. But back to my story, I was passionate about parasites and I ended up getting 100% in the course. So that was mind-blowing for me because 100% is usually not easy to do in university. I mean, I had never done it before and I think this was either third year or fourth year. But I just had the energy and I had the stamina and I had the passion and I ended up getting 100%. And I remember I went in to see the professor to look at my final um, examination. And he said to me, he said, please tell me that you are going into parasitology because I have never seen in my history of teaching anybody do work that the way that you have. And your, your knowledge of parasites would be very beneficial in the world of parasitology. So I ended up actually applying to McGill for their parasitology program. And I also applied. So at this time, I was applying to medical school. And I always knew that I kind of wanted to go into, like I said, science or medicine. And I applied to medical school overseas because overseas, you didn't have to write the MCAT examination. And I was all for the MCAT examination, but I just really wanted to go to medical school. I didn't want to wait. I didn't want to write any exams. If I could go, I just wanted to go. And that's typically what happened. I applied to medical school and I applied to all of my post-grad programs too. And I ended up getting into medical school and I jumped on it. I, I went, to, uh, I signed the offer. Now, one thing that I do kind of want to note on my journey was the prevalence of the divine in my journey and my lack of recognition at the time because I was young, I was very unaware. I was, I was lacking self-awareness. I was lacking world awareness. I was um, a little bit too much in my ego for, for my own good, but that typically happens in your early 20s. And from that point, I really was being influenced to look up naturopathic medicine. But my ego did not like the idea of naturopathic medicine. Naturopathic medicine was not mainstream. It wasn't respected. Um, you know, when it came to my family and my parents, everybody were super proud, you know, that I was going to be a doctor, that I was going to be studying medicine. And there was a lot of like pride and respect that came with me following that course and becoming a part of that profession. And, and that that did heaven, heavily influence my decision on that journey to pursue medicine and to not pursue naturopathic medicine because I do remember at the time I looked up naturopathic medicine and I did laugh um, when I saw it. I just, I didn't have respect for it. I really thought it was the easy way out um, and I just, I, I wanted to be a doctor. I didn't want to be a naturopath and I kept coming back to naturopathic medicine and I was thinking about it. I don't know why it was in my consciousness. Now I do. But it was always just something that was there on the back burner. But I got that A-OK -okay for medical school. And I ended up pushing through and going to medical school. Now, one thing I do want to note, you're listening to my journey. And I'm going to be talking a lot about kind of the divine connections and the way that what I now call God or source, what you call um, the workings of God in my life and how my life has so perfectly panned out according to the design of what God sent for me. And when I got into medical school, my ego was on board, but my soul wasn't. 
And what I mean by that is there was resistance in my journey. And resistance can be great when you're overcoming something. But sometimes resistance can be a red flag. It can be we're moving in a direction that isn't actually the best for you. I didn't know that at the time. I just pushed forward and I went through the resistance and I ended up actually pushing against the resistance into flow. And I ended up going to medical school and then I realized that that wasn't the avenue for me. So I studied medicine for two and a half years at RCSI, which is the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland. And the campus was in Bahrain, um, which is the Middle East. And that was, that was a very interesting multicultural experience for me. It gave me the life experience to understand cultures. I have a huge love for the Muslim culture. Um, it gave me perspective on the Quran. It gave me perspective on um, ideas that I held about the culture that were completely incorrect, that were misguided by the media. So that was a very eye-opening and beautiful experience for me. And don't get me wrong, I enjoyed every minute of medicine. I really do have a love for conventional medicine. But what happened is I spent two and a half years studying medicine, loving medicine, and then something in me switched. So one day... I was going along kind of my spiritual journey and I was having these different people come into my life. So I was having energy healers come into my life and I was having Reiki healers come into my life and I had crystal healers come into my life and angel readers. And it was kind of this new opening of concepts that I had never been exposed to because I was completely almost atheist in my path. I didn't have any influence of religion in my life as a kid. I mean, I was baptized Protestant, but it wasn't anything that we lived by. We didn't go to church. Um, so I really didn't have kind of like a faith or a traditional background. And I really did play with the idea of spirituality. I, ha I, I remember growing up, I asked my mom, I'm like, mom, like, what do you think about God? Like, is God real? Like, do you pray with God? Like, I always had this interest in God, but I didn't know where to start with it. I didn't know whether it was true. I didn't know whether it was real. I didn't know like if I was supposed to pray. I was very kind of in the in-between of curiosity, it's, it, you know, finding things, testing things, and kind of creating my own ideologies from that. So I had these people coming into my life and they helped with a large portion of my healing. So at the time, like I said, I was in Western medical school and I started creating an idea of, I just want to know the truth. Like that was the thought that was running through my head. I just want to know the truth. Whatever the truth is, I want to be aligned with the truth. I want to know the truth and I want to live the truth. And I just kept repeating that. And I don't know what my obsession was about the truth, but I just wanted to know that I was living in integrity. I wanted to know that I was living with the correct morals and that I was in alignment with the universal truth, but not my truth. And that's where the confliction came in, is I was living in what I thought to be true, which was not necessarily the truth. And there is only one truth. There's only one truth that you're ever going to have. 
you may follow a truth that is not the truth, but there is only one universal truth. And for that, what happened is I kept saying that I wanted to know the truth. And what happened was I was presented with new ideas, new ideologies that were not in my forefront, that I wasn't aware of, concepts that I had considered, that I had blown off, you know, like concepts that, and I'm not saying that this is, you know, cause and effect, but you know, concepts where vaccinations cause autism, that was completely written off for me. I thought that was ludicrous. I thought people were crazy. Um, you know, that was my current um, belief system. That was my current understanding. But it wasn't based on exploration. It wasn't based on curiosity. It was based on ignorance. It was based on the fact that somebody had told me that and I accepted that belief to be true. But I never tested it. I never took it into a hypothesis and experimented with it. I just took the ideology of what somebody else believed and I considered it true. And that's where I find, you know, a lot of us get caught as a society and as people is we don't test things. We just, re, we just reiterate them. So we'll hear something and we take on other people's beliefs. So for instance, like, I don't know, I'm allergic to potatoes. Someone can say I'm allergic to potatoes. And as a kid, if you don't like potatoes, you're going to take on that belief that you're allergic too, right? And you can create that belief and you can feed that belief to the point where you actually think you're allergic to tomato or potatoes, but you're not actually physically allergic. You've just carried that belief. So what I'm saying here is we hold a lot of beliefs about things that are not grounded in reason, that are not grounded in logic and that are not tested, and that's where it gets dangerous is because we think we know when we don't know. The only way that you actually know is through experimentation. You take a hypothesis, you test it multiple times, it's repeatable. Then you know that you are closer to the truth and you are closer to fact. But if you're just reverberating things that you've heard or beliefs that you've heard or you know passionate statements like, for instance, Trump. I know this is a very heavy political topic. A lot of people get heated when you bring up Trump. But when you think about Trump, when you ask somebody why they hate him, they either can't give you a reason or they tell you that he's misogynistic and he's racist and he's evil and he's all of these things. But those statements are mimics of what the media has told you about him. And there's two sides of that personal character. And the only person who actually knows him is only going to be able to get, or the person that knows him, who actually knows him, is going to be able to give a correct statement, a, a more correct statement, because the truest correct statement will come from him himself. But the people who are actually around him are able to give more of a perspective of what he's like than outsiders, like the media who have created stories about this person's characteristics. And that's where inaccuracies, inaccuracies come in because we, we assume these beliefs and then we talk about them, right? So I hate Trump. He's misogynistic. Well, I can't actually genuinely make that statement because A, I've never met the man and B, I've never actually seen him do anything. I've only been told that he's done things, but I don't know if he has and I don't know what the intention was behind those. I don't know if they've been twisted or turned, which oftentimes they are in the media. We all do that. We take 
statements and we twist the words so that they serve a certain purpose or they serve a certain intention. And the intention is not always correct. We don't always have the factual evidence of what that meaning is. So where I was going with this, where was I going with this? I was talking about the truth and how I asked the truth to come into my life. And my mind really became open in medicine because I started allowing different possibilities. I started allowing myself to explore herbal medicine. I allowed myself to explore homeopathic medicine. I allowed in energetic medicine. I allowed in Reiki. So my realm of possibilities expanded because my mind allowed it to. So as that started to happen, I started to question whether Western medicine was where I wanted to stay, whether it was going to be the modality that I thought was going to help me on my journey with people and and to heal people because I went into medicine because number one, I was really good at it. And number two, because I wanted to help people heal. I wanted them to get better. And my biggest concern as I went down this journey was that the systemic model of Western medicine I felt was going to be too limiting. I felt like it wasn't going to allow me to address the energetic systems. It wasn't going to allow me to look into the meridians or the emotional imbalances or the spiritual imbalances and all those other things that I now understand as healing, that I understand as the root cause of why we experience disease. And that's one of the huge things that, you know, I've kind of fought for as I've moved forward in my now profession, which is naturopathic medicine, is to aim for the root cause and to not be satisfied with results that are less than subpar. I really do believe in the human body and I I do believe in the body's ability to heal itself. I think we has or we as a society we has we as a society have really gone backwards in our understanding of medicine and our understanding of who we are, why we're here, what we are, and we've really downgraded our understanding. We are so much more powerful and so much more able than what we currently believe. And that is kind of by design. But that belief is what keeps us stuck in these old, outdated paradigms of sickness, of illness, of, of staying ill, and of, of accepting results that are less than subpar. I really do believe that true healing is, is cure, and we have the capacity to do that. We just have to remember what we really are. We have to remember what the truth is, and we have to be willing to step outside of the box when it comes to finding solutions, and we have to be willing to step outside of the box when it comes to finding cause because we focus very little on cause, and we focus a lot on effect. And it's great to focus on effect, but you're only ever going to go so far if you focus on the reaction solution paradigm. You really need to get to the cause of things so that you can change the cycle. So again, I I must be the queen of tangents. I apologize, guys. I hope this is interesting. Um, But so I decided to leave medical school and that kind of came with its own... I guess, issues. Um, That was a really hard time for me because 
my ego got a really nice ass kicking. Sorry, pardon my language, butt kicking. I was humbled very, very fast, which I also see as one of my greatest blessings because my ego and my head was far too up my butt. And the humbling was I actually got out of school and I came home and I started shoveling snow. That was how I was going to make some money. I started shoveling some snow and I felt very bad about myself. Um, you know, I had gone from, you know, groomed in medical school to being told that you were like the best thing that ever happened, that you were super smart, that you had really achieved something amazing. And I walked away from it all. And I walked away from the money and I walked away from the reputation and I walked away from the status because my heart didn't feel like that was the right place for me. It just didn't feel right. So I walked away and I went into, like I said, snow shoveling and I did that for a bit and I really came down to earth and I realized, I realized the consequences of my actions, but I also realized, you know, that I had the ability to create a new story that was also in my best interest. So I guess one of the things that I learned from from that is I actually could have stayed in, in Western medicine and I for sure could have made it my own and created, you know, the healing that I wanted to do, but it just would have looked different. So either path kind of would have been would have been good. But what I have learned in coming back to, you know, that idea of logic is sometimes following your heart can be incorrect. And I'm not saying it was incorrect in that situation, but I'm just saying we have to be um, discerning when it comes to emotion, when it comes to intuition, when it comes to trauma, because we don't always know what we're being told. We don't always know, you know, what the message is. And sometimes trauma can do a very big number on us that can cause us to create almost chaos in our lives. So... Anyways, that's that's one of the things I learned from that whole experience, but it also turned out very beautifully, and I do feel like I am aligned and where I'm supposed to be. So I ended up shoveling, and then I decided I went to the West Coast for a little bit. I tried to find myself. I was just very confused. I was confused as to what I was going to be doing. Um, that's where I'm talking about the emotional intuition is great if you are aligned, but if you are not aligned can be very confusing so I went to Chinese medicine school I thought that was where I was supposed to be and then um, I did a lot of self-healing I did a lot of self-work and I realized that that was not the path that I wanted at all um, I wanted something more clinical I wanted something more medical because I did believe in the medical model there is some great tools in the medical model I just felt like I was missing kind of that clinical piece. So I came back to naturopathic medicine like five years later, six years later. And I ended up applying to the school. I got like an instant acceptance. I, I did the interview. It was the easiest acceptance I've ever had. Not, and I'm not saying it's easy to get into the school. I'm just saying there was like some divine. I was meant to be there. That was meant to be my path. And I was accepted. I went into naturopathic medical school 
and the rest is history. Four years later, I graduated. We did, um, or, or I did, my exams, and then now I'm a qualified naturopathic doctor who found their way back to parasitology. It's funny. It's it really did come full circle in many aspects of my life. Parasites, again, were completely out of sight, out of mind. I hadn't thought about parasites since like the third, fourth year of university. So the fact that they came back into my consciousness was really interesting to me. And it was actually through my own personal healing journey. So for those of you who have heard my healing journey, I've talked about um, it on TikTok before, but I have really gone through the healer's journey where I have learned through myself. And I, I really find that as a blessing in disguise because nobody likes to be sick, but I've learned so much about topics that I would have otherwise not uncovered. So there is definitely, you know, a reason why I lived in a house with black mold and I was in the attic that had the most black mold. And it turns out, you know, now I'm, I'm dealing with patients who have mold exposure and I can see the symptoms right away. And, you know, instead of looking at it as a panic attack, I understand because I went through it and I went through anxiety and I've been through depression and I've been through, um, you know, parasite and gut health issues. And like I said, it sounds like I'm very sick and I'm not knock on wood, um, thankfully now because I've been pulled out the other side of it. But all of these things that I've gone through and all of these things that I've experienced have really shaped my ability as a practitioner and my mind as well because I find, especially with parasites, it's so easy to get close-minded because the common conversation is that parasites are rare. And I really challenge people to have, you know, an open mind when it comes to parasites because... There's so much that we don't know. There's so much that we don't understand. And when people are sick, they search for answers. They look for answers. I mean, I could go on about why parasites aren't as rare as they used to be. I mean, we just have to look at our travel history. We just have to look at our transportation of food. We're, we're literally flying food all over the country and people are traveling to places like Africa and we have pets like dogs that get worms. So the idea that it only happens in subtropical areas, that ideology is outdated. That ideology could perhaps have only been true when people weren't moving and people weren't, you know, like fastly exchanging produce but we're in an era that things are moving so fast and, and when you're dealing with parasites that can be microscopic and macroscopic meaning you can see them to the human eye but there's a large percentage there's about 30 percent that are seen by the human eye and about 70 percent that are microscopic so if you have something and in a lot of parasites it's not just meat products it's also water contaminants so if you're looking at um, something that has been washed in water that is contaminated with a parasite and it's coming from, I don't know, wherever, Florida or Africa, and that's coming over and your produce is not carefully being washed or the parasite is not coming off in the wash if you're just doing a rinse, 
then you're consuming that bug, you're consuming that parasite, and then you're dealing with a subclinical infection. The other thing about parasites is their ability to escape the immune system. We don't give these bugs enough credit, really, when it comes to understanding them because the, the most common rebuttal I get is, well, why don't we see them in a colonoscopy? I have given five reasons on why you wouldn't see them in a colonoscopy, but you really just have to look at this basically. There's a huge protocol, not a huge protocol, but you take pegolite before you do a colonoscopy. So you wipe the intestine clean before you do a colonoscopy. So step one, you've already taken everything that would be in there out. Step two, what do you do when you want to survive? You move. You move into places that are safe. So if things are dying in the intestines because you're taking chemicals, which is pegolite, you're killing things, and then you're pooping them out because it's a laxative, anything that's alive is just going to go into the tissue. It's going to bury itself into the tissue, or it's going to move to another organ, or it's going to move to a food supply. Parasites move all the time. They move to different organs, and they specifically move to the things that have energy. So sugar, glucose, is one of their favorite things. So where do we have sugar and glucose? We have it in the pancreas. The pancreas produces insulin. Insulin is our main adapter or our main um, hormone that attaches to glucose and brings it into the cells. So if you are looking for glucose in the body, you're going to look in two places. You're going to look in the pancreas or you're going to look in the liver that creates it. So if you have a parasite in that organ, what kind of diseases would you create? Well, if it's in the pancreas and you've got this microscopic something feeding on glucose or feeding on insulin, sounds like a lot like diabetes. Or if we're talking about the liver and again, you have something feeding on glucose, again, we've got issues with glucose regulation. We have diabetes, we have fatty liver, we have cirrhosis, we have fibrosis, and there's stuff called liver flukes. Liver flukes or pancreatic flukes are a form of parasite that nestles itself in the tissues. So this is where I'm saying we need to be a little bit more open-minded. We need to be a little bit more open to the possibility that we don't know everything and that perhaps genetics don't cause everything and that there may be this other possibility out there that we're dealing with with bugs so anyways going back to to parasites parasites are fascinating because they want to live right they want to survive it's any any organism on planet earth the ultimate thing is survival you want to survive right so viruses want to survive parasites want to survive and bacteria want to survive and the easiest way to tick them off is to try and kill them and when you try and kill them they're going to do two things they're going to hibernate and they're going to replicate so replicate is the laying of eggs. It's putting the eggs in tissues. It's putting themselves in cyst packs. It's putting themselves in creating tissues, like I said, uh, tumors, cysts. And then it's also moving into different organs. So here I am studying parasites. And by, oh, by no means am I an expert, but I am willing to look further and I am willing to investigate in my own personal health 
killing parasites has been a huge part of my journey. I feel amazing. I have done a lot of different things. I have done mitochondrial support. I've done gut support. I've done the emotional healing and the trauma work, which honestly has been probably the most impactful. Uh, one thing that I have learned is that certain pathogens can only thrive in certain environments, just like mold can only th uh, thrive in a certain environment. So if the terrain or the breeding ground or the body is out of balance and these pathogens have the opportunity to kind of create or reproduce, then there's something that we emotionally are dealing with or holding on to. So, yeah. So this is, that's where I'm at. Um, I have been doing a lot of research on co-infections, which are self-infections. Coming back to parasites, parasites eat bacteria. They eat viruses. So when we think that things are in remission, that's not always true. And then the other thing is that when we kill parasites, you are releasing the byproducts of whatever is in them. So that can be the toxins, the heavy metals, the viruses, the bacteria, which can cause an increase in symptoms. You see the Herxheimer reactions, which are the flu-like symptoms, the chills, the fever, the headaches, uh, the diarrhea, constipation, all of that good stuff. So you, you do want to know what you're doing with parasite cleansing. I have put together a course if you've checked it out. Uh, it's the Parasite Doc School. You can find it on my website. And that's pretty much just a step-by-step -step process of various protocols for parasite cleansing to help people get started and to kind of have the resources. Because if you have a medical professional that's not willing to speak with you on it, there's a lot of research you can do. You can do your own research on topics. And I don't expect you to you know, um, believe what I say. I expect you to test it, right? I expect you to take it and test it and create your own hypothesis on what is true and what is not true. I think that's something that we lack in today's society and we need to get better at investigating before automatically assuming another's belief and question our beliefs. Question whether your belief is grounded in logic and science and truth uh, or whether it is just a false belief or a false perception that we ended up acquiring through somebody that we talked to or somebody that we listened to. So, yeah, that's where I am. <laughs> that's my journey. I hope that wasn't too long-winded. I hope that was interesting. And if you want to find me, you can find me at the Parasite Doctor. Um, I'm on Instagram, I'm on Facebook, I'm on TikTok, I'm also on YouTube. If you like EFT, Emotional Freedom Technique, I'm on YouTube. I'm going to be doing a lot of subliminal affirmations because I love them and they have been helping me. And that is it for now. So thanks for being on the show. Thanks for listening. And I look forward to having you guys on another episode of The Parasite Doc.
And that wraps up another episode of the Parasite Doc podcast. Thank you so much for being here. This show wouldn't be possible, obviously, without you guys. We love to hear your feedback. What did you think of the show? What did you think of the topics that we touched on? And we're always open to feedback on things that we could improve on or topics or people that you'd like us to interview. Thanks again. We'll see you on the next time on the Parasite Doc podcast.